Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Well, as I said in the last session, uh, I want to take my time with this passage of Scripture. Uh, Something that we uh, need to say to you is that the book of Romans is a difficult book. You can't um, just go through it quickly like you can some of the other books of the Bible, especially the Gospels. Uh, You know, you can go through a little quicker with those, but this is doctrine. Uh, this is Bible doctrine that is vital to understanding uh, how to get to heaven. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to <clears throat> the church at Rome, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And I suspect that Paul uh, knew that his writing here to the Romans would be read by many unbelievers, unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles. Whether he knew that it would still be uh, be uh, read today in 2015, uh, you know, probably not. But it's lasted now for uh, 2,000 years. Preachers and Bible teachers have been teaching the book of Romans. And uh, the truths that are in the book of Romans are just as real and relevant to today as they were when Paul wrote them uh, about 2,000 years ago. Now, uh, Paul uh, seems to be anticipating the arguments that some of the Jews uh, may make. And so in anticipating their arguments, he brings up some of these things before they bring them up. And that's what you have going on in, uh, in chapter 3. Um, you see, they had uh, this idea that Uh, they could break the Jewish law, and in doing so, they could break the law of Moses. They actually were doing God a favor. They made him look more righteous. In other words, the more they sinned, the more righteous God became. Well, that's foolish. Yet, evidently, some of them were doing that. Uh, They trusted so much in their heritage and being a Jew that they thought they could break the law, and in their breaking it, it actually was making God look more righteous. Even though it made them look unrighteous, it made God look righteous. Now, isn't that foolish? But that's what they they did. Uh, The foolish argument was um, to do evil so that God might look better, so that God might look more righteous. And uh, so let's pick it up where we left off in verse 7. Paul writes to uh, the church at Rome and says, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Now he's speaking uh, not about about himself, but by these self-righteous Jews that were saying, you know, we can do evil so we might make God look more righteous. Um, And... uh, uh, he says, I, 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 the, the idea that Paul is saying here is that if the truth of God has been magnified by my sin, this is what the foolish Jews were saying, if the truth of God has been magnified by my sin, uh, then I'm bringing glory to God. Uh, and surely he won't judge me for that. that that's their thinking. Uh, it'd be like saying if I've done God uh, th- that uh, if I have done God a favor in 
in highlighting his truth, well, then surely he won't judge me for the uh, evil that I do. Okay? Uh, actually, some had even gone so far as to accuse the Apostle Paul of advocating sin to bring glory to God. No, they, they didn't understand what grace was. Some people still do that today. They say, well, uh, today, they say, well, if you believe in the grace of God, then you believe you can live any way you want to. No, I don't. Because uh, the Bible teaches in the book of Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously in this present world. Godly works always follows true faith in Christ. But what you have here is a form of antinomianism. Now, that big word antinomianism, maybe you're not familiar with it, uh, it's, uh, the, the, the word itself actually means uh, uh, against the law. Uh, and uh, there are some that even are in this movement of antinomianism today. And uh, what it does, antinomianism, rejects all moral laws. It teaches everything is relative. Uh, the person who claims there are no moral absolutes, uh, though, has actually stated an absolute. Uh, it, it's foolish thinking again. It's like, shall we sin that grace may much more abound? In other words, the more we sin, that, that's what Paul is addressing these Jews that were claiming, well, we're sinning and we're actually making God look good. Well, that's the argument of the antinomian. Uh, that uh, uh, it's okay to continue in sin because our sins will actually bring glory to God and it will magnify the grace of God. Now, isn't that foolish? I've got some friends that are involved in antinomianism. Usually they will drop out of church completely because they don't want to hear you know, they don't want to hear the truth. They drop out of church. Usually they, you know, they have their own services in their own homes because they understand something none of the rest of us are intelligent enough to understand. No, what they're doing is they're thinking they can live any way they want to, and because of the grace of God, they'll be all right. All right? They, they don't have to go to church. They don't have to give to God's work. They don't have to support missions. They don't have to do these things because, you know, for the grace of God is, is, is uh, uh, more powerful than their sins, so therefore it gives them license to do what they want to. Actually, antinomianism was advocated by a man by the name of, of Friedrich uh, Nietzsche. And uh, he was an atheist a German philosopher, and he argued that people should create their own ethics. Do your own thing. So uh, these Jews that Paul is speaking to <coughs> were doing their own thing. They were sinning so that grace might abound, so that they might make God look good. And there are people like that today. There are even some people among our Baptist groups that say, well, once saved, always saved, so I don't have to worry about how I live or how I conduct my life and whatever. Now, that gives a bad name to we that do believe once you're saved, you're always saved. But let me say this. I also believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. But if you're truly saved, you're going to produce godly works. Uh, isn't that what Paul is saying in, in Ephesians? Uh, when we go to Ephesians um, chapter 2, where Paul says uh, in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Well, that's right. 
were saved by God's grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work your way uh, into heaven. You can't do enough good works to please God. But, he goes on to say in verse 10, For we, we the saved, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, or that we should perform good works. Well, that's what Jesus meant when he said over in the book of Matthew, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is what he meant in uh, Matthew uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5 uh, and verse 16, where he said, Let your light shine before men that they may glorify your good works and glorify your, your Father which is in heaven. So do I believe in good works? Not for salvation. But I believe they follow salvation and they prove the, the, uh, uh, the realness of your salvation. But what Paul was dealing with were some Jews that were claiming we've got the law and it's okay for us to sin uh, because we're actually making God look good. Now isn't that foolish? So Paul anticipates that argument and that's what he's dealing with uh, here in uh, verses uh, 7 and 8. Notice he says here, uh, let's go back to our, to uh, to Romans, uh, and I'll need to turn back to it. Uh, here's what he what he says there in uh, in verse uh, seven and eight. But uh, Romans three, for if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie, this is what these Jews were saying, and to His glory, why am I yet judged as a sinner? They were saying, look. Uh, if I'm making God look good, and I'm bringing glory to God, even though I'm doing wrong, why am I going to be judged? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Paul is talking about himself here. He's not preaching that you can live any way you want to once you be saved. He says, let us do evil. I'm not saying that, Paul is saying. Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Paul is saying, I'm not preaching that. I'm preaching salvation is free and it's by God's grace, but it does not give us license to sin. Now, in verses uh, 9 through 20, he's going to show that the final verdict is that the whole world's guilty of sin before God, both Jews and Gentiles. He says in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Who's they? That's the Gentiles. Again, he's still speaking to the Jews. And, he, and Paul was a Jew himself. So he says, are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now he's not talking about the committing of sins. He's talking about the, uh, the sin nature. We are all born with the sin nature, whether we be Jew or Gentile. And Paul says, the word confirms this. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now what part of that don't you understand? You ought to understand it. It, it is so simple. If you're trying to be good enough to get to heaven, You'll never get there. Why? 
because your and my righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Well, then what must we do? We must depend upon his righteousness. And that'll be the argument that he'll give in uh, chapter 3 and really through the, the whole book of Romans. And so he goes on to say, um, and, and, and by the way, he is, he is uh, referring to Psalm 14 where it says, As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Let's go to Psalm 14. And uh, David wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the next time you think that you're good or the next time that you think you deserve uh, heaven or uh, you're going to work your way to heaven, you might consider what God says about humanity. Uh, God doesn't paint a very pretty picture here in uh, the book of uh, Psalms uh, chapter 14. Well, let's look at it. Verse 1, chapter 14, Psalm. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Who's corrupt? Humanity. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. This is God speaking. You say, but I do good. Well, God says you don't. There's none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So God looks, you know, from heaven down to see, oh, see if I can find a, a perfect man, a perfect woman. Well, let's see if he found any. Verse 3, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. Now, these are the words of God about humanity. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, that should be enough to convince anyone that's reasonable that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners by nature. We're born with a sin nature. We are doomed with our sin nature unless we admit that we are sinners and repent of it and turn to Christ. Let's go back to our teaching in Romans chapter 3. Uh, he continues in verse 12 to uh, quote from Psalm 14. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So that's the indictment on humanity. Nobody's good. Now he begins to get specific about humanity. Again, you know, there are those that have this foolish idea that... Um, you know, there's some good in man. Every, every man, there's a spark of, of divinity in every man. No. There's a spark of hell in every man. There's none righteous, no, not one. This uh, false teaching um, that has to do with uh, glorifying self and self-interest and self-image and, and uh, believe in yourself, that's right out of hell. That's not out of the Bible. We must, we must see ourselves as sinners and hopeless before we can be saved. That's what Paul is driving at. He's taking all of our righteousness away from us and showing that we're spiritually bankrupt. And unless we admit that, we can never be saved. He describes in more detail in verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. What's a sepulcher? A grave. Humanity's throat is like an open grave. Not very pretty, is it? With their tongues, they have used deceit. Well, 
You know, James talks about the, the tongue, the little member that is set on fire of hell. Their tongues have used to see the poison of asp. That's a snake is under their lips. In other words, they drip with snake venom. That's humanity. Now, not to, wait a minute. You say, that's talking about the bad people in the world. No, I was talking about all the people in the world. Jeremiah says, uh, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. I know that flies in the face of what's being taught today about you need to tell, you know, your little child that they're wonderful, that they're great, and uh, that, uh, you know, and that God loves them. Well, he does, but you don't tell them anything neg negative about themselves. You don't want them to think that they're not good in some way, and so you always brag on them. No, what you're producing when you do that is a self-centered, uh, if they grow up to get older, a self-centered teenager or self-centered adult. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating you ought to start telling your, your child how uh, bad a senator there are, uh, you know, right off the bat. But when they can understand what sin is and their only way to be forgiven of their sin, they need to come face to face with the fact they are a sinner. My son Tim co-pastors the church with me. Uh, I went into his bedroom one night, and we talked about the salvation, and of course he's a preacher's child, so he had heard about it, and he's only four years old. But he knew he was a sinner, and I explained it to him on his level, and he asked the Lord to forgive him and save him that night at four years old. Now then, he's 43 and the pastor of our church. See, you've got to know you're a sinner, and that's the painting that, that, that Paul uh, the portrait, rather, that Paul is painting here of humanity. He says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You say, well, I don't curse. I don't do that. Well, you'll see yourself somewhere in here. Their feet uh, are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, a person has to be taught to fear God. The Bible says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's, it also says it's the beginning of knowledge. Yes, fear of God. You say, oh, that, that doesn't really mean I ought to be afraid of God. Well, Job was afraid of him. I'm afraid of him. He has the power to give life and take life. Come on. You need to fear God for who he is. You can love him and fear him at the same time. I did my father and mother. I loved them, but I feared them at the same time until, you know, I, I became an adult myself. But, uh, you know, they were God's governors, so to speak, over my life while I was a young person. And I did the same thing with, with uh, my wife and I did with our four kids. We need to teach children to fear God. Well, think about it. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. He, he deserves our fear and, and our reverence of him. But, he, but the Bible says here, by nature, man has no fear of God. He must be taught that from the word of God. You know, it kind of uh, goes along with uh, the uh, evolutionists today that teach, you know, we all just evolved. Uh, God is not uh, in the picture at all. There is no supernatural uh, sense to our creation, whatever. We just, you know, we just, over millions of years, here we are. 
Well, that's a very foolish argument as well. But a person that, that believes in evolution, I'm going to say it. You may not like it. You may say, well, I think you can believe in evolution and God at the same time. You can't as far as the Bible's concerned. Now tell me how you can believe in evolution after reading what the Bible uh, teaches. Let's just go to uh, the book of Psalms for a moment again. And uh, notice what uh, the Bible says in the, the book of Psalms. And then you tell me uh, whether you believe in evolution or not. Let's look at Psalm 33 and uh, verse 6. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. You see evolution in there anywhere? Now watch this. And all the host of them, the heavens, by the breath of his mouth. Breath means the spirit. But he even defines it more in verse 9. For he, God, spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Now you show me where evolution is in any of that. It, 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 it's a hellish, false teaching, sad to say, that's been propagated for the past oh, 75 years or so, and sad to say it's in our government schools and universities, uh, and sad to say that many Christians believe in evolution. You can't believe in evolution and believe the Word of God. You may think you can, but you can't. No, God created everything, and God uh, God sustains everything. By, uh, by the Lord, uh, He keeps everything going. Well, let's go back to Romans. Uh, we're in uh, Romans uh, chapter 3. And we're getting a portrait of humanity. And he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law. Well, that would be the Jews. All right. That every mouth, Jew or Gentile, may be stopped. Shut your mouth. That's what God is saying. Shut your mouth that every mouth may be stopped and all the world, not just part of it, not just the Jewish world or the, or the Gentile world, but all the world, watch this, may become guilty before God. Guilty, guilty, guilty. That's what God is saying. Humanity is guilty, guilty, guilty. Boy, that, you know, that doesn't, paint a very pretty picture, does it? But that's that's how God sees it. You're going to have to argue with God. Watch this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by keeping the law, and the Jews thought, you know, that's how you got to heaven. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In other words, if you think you're going to keep the law of Moses, Perfect. And by the way, remember, if James says if you offend in one little part, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. Have you always loved the Lord your God with all your heart? Have you always loved your neighbor as yourself? Well, if you haven't, then you've got a problem. I know I haven't. 
He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh, no human, be justified in his, in God's sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that the law that we have in the Bible reveals to us that we are sinners. You know, uh, let's face it, uh, uh, just take the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not kill, thou shall not bear false witness. God is showing us that if we do those things, you know, we're guilty. And so the law is like a mirror that you look into to see yourself. And I want to know, I want you to know that when you look at yourself, you're going to find out you just don't qualify to make it to heaven. But thank God for the law. Because it reveals that we are sinners. It doesn't save us from our sin. It reveals that we are sinners. That's what Paul is saying. Well, let's go on. We're on a roll here, so we'll just, we'll just keep on going. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now what is... Uh, what does Paul mean here when he says the righteousness of God without the law is manifest or revealed? And then he says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Basically, here's what he's saying. The, the Bible reveals the law, the, the perfect standard of God. And we are unable to keep it. So therefore, God has made it possible for us to supersede the law by our faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's what he means here. The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. So when you believe and trust, and that's what the word believe here means, to trust in uh, the righteousness of God, not your righteousness, the righteousness of God. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God. That's the only righteousness there is. And when we put our faith, now watch this, when we put our faith in Christ, we receive back the righteousness of God. Yeah. For, <clears throat> listen to this. For he has, for he hath made him Christ, God has made Christ sin for us, who knew no sin, that would be Christ, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, read it for yourself. There, you, you have no righteousness. I have no righteousness. We've got to come to that conclusion. The only righteousness is of God. And he nails it down in verse 23 when he says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Both Jew and Gentile, you come up short. No matter how good you think you are, how religious you think you are, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile or a Muslim or a, or a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or whatever, you have no righteousness. Only God is righteous, but he will give you his righteousness when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's called imputation. God imputes his righteousness to the believer when they put their faith in Christ. 
it's credited to our account. The righteousness of God is credited to the believer's account when they repent and receive Christ. Well, let's go on. I like verse 24. Being justified freely. Freely. You can't earn it. You can't live it. Being justified freely by what? By your works? No, no. By grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ. See, uh, Christ redeemed us from the law because he kept the law perfectly because he was God in the flesh. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we too are redeemed. We are redeemed by the blood, the Bible, or the song says, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible teaches that, by the way. Being justified freely, justified means, uh, you know, uh, when a, uh, it, an illustration is, here is a person before a judge. And this person is guilty of the crime. And uh, so it comes time for the sentencing. And here this person is guilty of the crime, whether they've confessed it or not. Well, uh, uh, a true believer would. Okay? So here is the, uh, a person before a judge, and uh, uh, yes, I did the crime. I, I, have no, I have no explanation. I'm guilty. And the judge says, <coughs> you're pardoned. You can go. Wait a minute. That's not fair. Well, that's what God has done for us. But it's because of our faith in Christ. You see, we are guilty sinners, and we deserve hell. But when we repent of our sins and receive Christ, we get God's righteousness. We give God our unrighteousness, and He gives us His righteousness. And that makes us candidates for heaven. And it's all because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Well, let's go ahead and look at this. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Propitiation means uh, an atonement, um, a pardon. Through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Bottom line simply saying that God has set forth um, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the one that has paid for our sins and uh, our faith in His blood and in the fact that He paid for our sins, God has remitted our sins or taken our sins away. And it's all because of the forbearance of God. What's, what's that mean? Well, forbearance means God means when you put up with somebody and you put up with them and you put up with them and you're patient with them. Well, that's what Peter teaches. He teaches that God's not willing that any should come to repentance, but that all, or God's not willing that, that, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Long-suffering. Thank God for his long-suffering. That's what he means here. In verse 26, he says, To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's just another way of saying God has given us his righteousness because of our faith in Jesus. You say, it doesn't seem fair. I don't care what it seems. That's what the Bible teaches. 
You say, but surely I've got to do something. I, I've got to join something or be baptized or, or I, I've got to keep a set of rules. No. No, all you have to do is, is uh, admit that you are a sinner and you can't save yourself and your only hope is God through Jesus Christ. And you repent or you change your change of heart after you've admitted you're a sinner and you put all of your sin on Christ and you give Christ all of your unrighteousness and then he gives you God's righteousness in return. That's what grace is. I know. You say, it's too good to believe. I, well, I don't care. It's what the Bible teaches. And that's why uh, many churches are filled with folks who's not been, they've not been truly saved. They keep thinking they can do something either to earn it or to keep it after they got it. And if that's their thinking, they don't have it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy hath he saved us. Well, he says <clears throat> in verse 27, where is boasting then? Well, it's excluded. There's, you, you can't boast. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. The law of faith supersedes the law of works or of trying to keep the, to the Jews, trying to keep the Mosaic law, or to the Gentiles as trying to live good enough to earn God's favor. Now, no, listen, every person who has ever been made a saint of God were made a saint of God because of their faith in God. You take all of the Old Testament saints, and uh, you have several of them named in Hebrews 11. You say, how were they saved? Were they saved different than we're saved today? No. No, when you read uh, Hebrews 11, you find out by faith, by faith, by faith Abraham, by faith uh, Moses. Uh, they were all saved by faith. How are we saved? By faith. They were saved by faith and looking forward to the coming Messiah. We are saved by faith by looking back at the cross. They were saved by faith looking forward to the cross. They understood. Here's what the Old Testament saint understood: that all of the blood of the animals that was shed, that were uh, the, the blood that was shed, and and the dead bodies and whatever, those all pointed towards one supreme sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. They understood that. They they may not have understood it in detail, but they got it. The ones that didn't get it thought that, well, just the sacrifices. That's what God wants is all these sacrifices, and that'll please him. No, no, no. No, that's not what he wanted. As a matter of fact, since we have mentioned that, God makes that very clear to the Jews over in uh, Isaiah that thought their sacrifices was going to be pleasing to God. They didn't understand that the sacrifices pointed to the one person, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? This is God speaking to Israel. Saith the Lord, I am full of burnt offerings. I'm tired of them. The burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. You see, they thought that these animals is what pleased God. That God was looking for the animal blood. That's what he wanted. No, God says that's not that. Now what, let's read the rest of it. He says, when you come, to be, come before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? 
Bring no more vain oblations, worthless oblations. I don't want to see any more of your bulls and your goats and your sheep. Incense is an abomination to me. <coughs> you know, don't go into the temple and burn the incense so I can smell it. God says, it, it's a stink in my nostrils. Watch this. Speaking to the Jews. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. All your, all your feast days and holy days and all the offering of the animals makes me sick. That's what the Lord says. I didn't write this. Verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hateth. You see, their problem was they had ritual without repentance of sin. And a lot of churches do that today. They have their rituals, but they don't have true repentance. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, this is the Lord speaking, I will not here. What was their problem in Isaiah's day? Their problem was the same problem that Paul was dealing with in his day was that these Jews were more hung up on ritual and religion than they were repentance and receiving Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Are there Protestant churches like that today? Oh yes. Catholic churches? Absolutely. Hung up on the ritual. They got to go through all the signs and they've got to have, you know, repeat all this and that. And let me tell you, that will get you nowhere with God. It makes God, it just makes God sick. You say, well, what is God looking for then? Well, hang on and I'll show you. Let's go on. Let's go back to our teaching. Verse 25, Romans 3, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a payment for uh, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, not ours, his, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. In other words, God will justify you when you believe in Jesus. Justification means just as if you had never sinned at all. It means pardon. Why? Because you've repented of your sins. That's the only requirement. And receive Christ, of course. What is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude, watch this, therefore we conclude, Paul says, that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Hmm. You mean to tell me that we're that faith is what justifies us? Uh, no, I, I, I'm telling you that's what the Bible says. All right? So no matter how much you try to keep the law, no matter how good you try to be or self-righteous or do good deeds, that's not going to cut it. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified or set free or pardoned from his sin by faith. Faith in who or what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith without the deeds of the law. You're not saved by keeping any rules or regulations or performing any rituals. Listen, salvation is in a person, not in a performance. 
You can perform all the good works you want to. Makes God sick. Unless you have realized that you're saved by the grace of God through your faith, and then the good works that you do, God will credit that to your account, not for your salvation, but one day we'll stand before God and He will give out rewards. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, a lot of people have uh, salvation rewards all mixed up. Salvation is free. It's a gift of God. Rewards are something that we earn as believers that we do for the glory of God, and that's the only way that we'll be rewarded. But whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God, and one day we'll be rewarded for that. That's what the Bible teaches. But it has nothing to do with our salvation. Salvation is totally free, and it's a, it's a gift of God. It's by grace. Well, Paul says in verse 29, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? And he answers his own question. Yes, of the Gentiles also. <coughs> now the Jews didn't want to hear that. They thought they were privileged. And they didn't like those Gentiles. But Paul says, who is Paul's a Jew. And Paul is saying, I've got news for you. He's the God of the Gentiles too. By the way, there were no Jews until Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was the first Jew. What about Noah? And what about, um, uh, what about Enoch? What about uh, Adam? What about those that were believers before there were Jews? They were Gentiles. There were, the world was all Gentiles. The antediluvian world were all Gentiles before the flood. So God loves the Jew and the Gentile. Why? Because God loves his creation. God loves the world. Not the world system, but the world of humanity. Then he goes on to say in verse 30, and I'm going to stop here. He says, See, it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, that's the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcision through faith. So Paul is saying whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. It's just as long as you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and trust Him as your Savior. That's God's qualification for heaven. And when you do that, God will give you His righteousness, not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, but because of your faith in His Son. Have you put your faith in His Son and His Son alone? Or have you put your faith in Christ and in the rituals of a church, in baptism, the Lord's Supper, doing the best you can, living it the best you can? Well, I got news for you. You'll not make it. It's got to be in Christ alone. Remember, Jesus is the one that said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or no woman cometh unto me Come, come, come within to God except through me. Uh, that's uh, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me. He is the one and only way, and you cannot help him out by your righteousness. You have to admit you have no righteousness. Depend upon the righteousness of God that's given to you or imputed to you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is not rocket science. This is not hard to understand. Have you done it? Are you still trusting in Christ alone? Well, you're okay if you are. If you're not, 
you're confused, you're messed up. I hope you have trusted Christ and Him alone as your Savior. Well, in the next session, we'll be in uh, in verse 31. Uh, well, you know, let me finish it up. Uh, I, I fail to realize this is the last verse of chapter 3. Notice he says in verse 31, uh, Do we then make void or cancel out the law through faith? Or, Paul says, I'm not saying that you know the law is not good. It is good but it doesn't save you. Do we then make void or cancel out the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. You know, uh, grace actually establishes the law. The law shows us we're sinners. And then when we trust in His grace, then we should uh, we should be uh, the children of God that do our best to keep the word of God, to obey Christ's commandments. So no, you don't do away with the law once you trust Christ and Him alone as your Savior. No, you just establish it. We need to keep the law. We still need the Ten Commandments. They, you know, they're the moral fiber um, of our nation. And sad to say our nation's got away from the Bible, away from the Ten Commandments. And uh, boy, I don't know... <laughs> Uh, where do we go from here? I don't know. Unless there is a great awakening uh, of God's Word and uh, a movement of the Holy Spirit, um, I'm afraid that America will go down the tubes just like Europe has. And uh, I don't want to see that happen. And I think we need to pray and witness to others as much as we can. But uh, unless we get back to the Bible, and we, unless we get back to God's way, and first of all, acknowledging there is a God. You know, the Bible teaches that, that we need to, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Uh, and we must be a believer that He is. We must recognize He is, that He is God. Before That's the starting place, and I'm afraid our world is going against that. So, God's made it possible that every human being can be saved but not every human being will accept his plan of salvation. Well, we stop there. Just had one verse to go. We'll tackle chapter 4 in our next session. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at Hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.